please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We are coming to the end of this chapter. And uh, I, I just pray that you've been receiving something from this. This I'm going to be looking at verse 18 today. I will not do a review except to make reference to the previous verse for just a second because it does lead into this verse. We, again, we're looking at verse 18 today, but in verse 17, the Apostle John concluded that verse by saying, as he is, so are we in this world. So that was a real key thought that he brought out before he was going to go on to say now in verse 18, there is no fear in love. Now this is a tremendous verse, okay? A lot of people have preached some, some stuff off of this that haven't been exactly right. So today what I want to do is bring some balance into that. Um, and when I say balance, I'm not mixing unbelief with faith, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about that kind of balance. I am talking about the kind of balance that shows us the place of fear in a Christian's life, the right place and the wrong place, all right? So we want to look at this first of all. Uh, no, first, let me continue reading. So he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Notice the kind of fear he's talking about. It involves torment, okay? But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, it's really interesting, you know, I want you to notice that it says, but perfect love casts out fear. But then he says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So since perfect love casts out fear, if you've got fear, he's saying you're not being perfected in love. Now, before we go any further, as I said before, the first thing we need to do is clarify the type of fear that is being referred to here. It is not the same fear that is brought out in Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, when Mary, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, and his mercy is on those who fear him. I think that's really interesting. She says his mercy is on those who fear him. Now, the literal translation says those who are in awe of and revere him. Do you all get that? So, you see... The, this is the kind of fear that has been spoken of that is the, the right kind of fear, but it's not really fear. And so whenever you see that word, you really need to understand that this is talking literally about being in awe of. You know, we use the word awesome. <gasps> that is awesome. Okay. Everything is awesome. All right? and, and some days everything is awesome, which is fine. Okay. But I'm just saying that in its proper use, it is someone who is in awe of something that remember the angel Gabriel? When he came down, he was talking to Zacharias, was it? When, and Zacharias was giving him lip about, I, you know, I, I don't, how can I have a baby? You know, well, he wasn't going to have it. His wife was. But they were so, you know, old. And, and I, I like what um, the angel Gabriel says. He says, I stand in the presence of God. Okay, there's an awesomeness about God where even angels can't stand in his presence. Only the archangels, the really strong ones, can do that. And so the point he was <laughs> making was, he said, listen, I'm an angel that actually, you know, we read that and go, so what? You're standing around waiting, you know. It, it wasn't that kind of standing. It was he has the strength, the, the tenacity, the power. He's got what it takes to stand in that presence where all the other angels just fall at his presence. So he was saying that is the kind of awesomeness that God has coming out of him. Are you all with me? That's the awesomeness that we bow before. Either you bow or you fall, man. One way or the other, you're going down. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Okay? And so that's the kind of awesomeness or awe that this is talking about. Are you all here? And you know, if you are, if you are in that kind of awesome presence, forgive me using the word, but it's the right use of the word, okay? When you are in that kind of awesome presence, 
it is very difficult to do the wrong thing. That kind of presence went past Peter, and you know, especially <laughs> this was the incident, and I don't have. To, uh, well, let me take a minute and, and share this with you. You know, when when Jesus said cast your net, and he said we've been fishing all night, he said do it anyway, and he did, and he realized that he, you know, he had sinned because he he just cast one net instead of you know Jesus said cast out the nets, and he just said all right at your word I put one net out, you know, and it broke because it was only one net. He said put them all out. Hello, okay, and so, then when he came close to Jesus, that presence was there. You all know that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and told Peter, cast your net out. Do you all get the connection? Okay, all right. So that presence went past Peter, and, you know, he, he dropped to his knees and said, forgive me, I'm a sinful man. And people said, oh, see, he was so humble. No, he realized he sinned. And, you know, in that presence, you really, that sin really comes up. It is one of the first things that happens when you go into the presence of God. When you're praying, that should be the first thing that comes up is your sin. Do you know why? Because it is the thing that needs to get out of the way in order for God to speak to you without any inhibitions, without any problems, without any, I don't know, blockages, okay? <laughs> Anything getting in the way of him speaking to you and you hearing him clearly. Are you all with me? Amen? And so that's the kind of awe that we're talking about. That's the kind of reverence that we're talking about. That is the kind of fear that we're talking about. Do you all get that? Okay. I'll give you more examples, okay? Interestingly, this same Greek word for fear is also used in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22, where the Apostle Paul says, this is Colossians 3.22, he says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases. Hello. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to you about that in just a minute, for, for just a minute. But he says, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. I want you to notice that the reason why you will not be a man pleaser, so to speak, you will not only do stuff when people are looking. You know, <laughs> where I, I, I've been there, man, I've seen this happening. I worked in the public service. No, <laughs> okay, no. Anyway, it doesn't only happen there, but it happens everywhere. But, you know, people that will be kind of working while people are watching, and then when they're not watching, they're doing something else. And, you know, and the sad thing is, you know, when you're working away and you take a break just when they decide they're going to work because they saw the boss coming from the side of their eye and you just, you know, I mean, you've been working flat out and you take a five-minute break and the boss sees you having a break and you go, oh, come on. And they say, oh, are we taking a break, are we? And you think, oh, I was working all this day, weren't I was? <laughs> you know, can I say something to you? The same God that says this also makes sure that the boss is watching when nobody knows they're watching. <laughs> they know when you're working and when everybody else isn't. Hello. They might play with you, but they know who's really doing the work. Amen. You know, they're not stupid. They didn't get there being stupid. Your boss, that is. Okay. <laughs> you might say, well, my boss, I don't want to know about that. Okay, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying you have a God that is watching over you. If you do the right thing, then it's up to him. He is responsible for making sure that they see you when you're working. Amen? Because you're doing it as unto him. Hallelujah. All right. But I want you to notice that it is the fear of God, so to speak, in the right fear, the awe, the reverence, okay, of God that causes you to do the right thing when nobody's looking. Are you all with me? So that is important as well, family. Moving on, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go to verse 21. 
So we're looking at all the things that the Apostle John is not talking about. <laughs> Amen. Okay. All right. Ephesians 5.21, it says, you know, this is the famous, you know, passage of Scripture everybody usually gets married on. I don't know why, because it wasn't talking about marriage. But never mind, I don't have time to go into that today. All right, Ephesians 5.21, it begins with this verse. It says, Sub submit to one another out of, and it says, fear of God in the New King James. Or, uh, you know, other translation says reverence of Christ. So I want you to notice the fear of God, the reverence of Christ. See, that's what they're talking about. Remember, you know, Christ is God, right? Amen. Okay, I already covered that. All right, so you notice that he says, so even our submission to one another comes out of our quote-unquote fear of God, our reverence of Christ. Amen? That we say, listen, Lord, we know that you are head over the... Let's talk about the household for just a minute. Okay? <clears throat> I said this previously. I'm not the head of the house. <gasps> Gasp, all the air gets sucked out of the room. No. <laughs> okay? Jesus is the head of the house. I better not be the head of the house. Because otherwise there's a big problem. All the devil has to do is get me going in the wrong direction and the whole house goes down the drain. Hello? I don't want that kind of responsibility. Hello, okay, all right, I'm not that stupid. Okay, this household used to have two people that would be under the Lord and listening to the Lord. Now it has four. I realized. Because <laughs> now, now there's my son and my daughter. And, uh, you know, there was a point in time when my daughter said, you know, Dad, you should do this. And, you know, she's just a child. I was like, oh, you know, whatever, never mind. I want to do it this way. And guess what? She was right. The Lord was talking through her, but fool over here wasn't listening. Not as foolish, but as wise. You know, the Bible talks about that. Okay? That day I was not wise. I was the opposite of wise. And I didn't listen. I had to repent and I had to apologize to her. And she's so gracious. She said, don't worry about it, Dad. I'm sure it was. I said, no, no, no. I made a mistake. I was wrong. You were right. Sorry about that. From now on, I'll make sure that I'm listening to anything that you're saying. Amen. See, now God has four people that he can speak to me through, or three people he can speak to me through, and four people he can communicate with in this family. Hallelujah. You know, that makes it almost impossible for the devil to do something now. Amen. In the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. The right counselors, okay? Not, not, okay, all right. So I want you to notice here that our, even our submission is based on this kind of fear. Because we know, you know, Lord, we don't want to do anything wrong by you. Therefore, you know, we want to be, make sure that we're listening for you, even if we're getting it wrong, that if you, try, you know, I can just see the Lord sometimes trying to get something to me, and he goes, he still ain't got it. You know, can we talk to somebody else? Yes, there's three more in the house. This is a good house, <laughs> okay? We can talk to somebody else. And, and you, know, you know, usually it's Emily that comes and says, you know, I was thinking about this, and I go, what? And then she says something, and my, you know, sometimes my first reaction is, I don't think, and I think, shut up. Don't, you don't think about nothing. You go pray about it. This is not about what you think, Charlie. It's about what God's trying to get across to you. Amen. All of that comes because I'm in submission to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. And she does the same thing. Everybody does the same thing. And everybody needs to do the same thing. Amen. Let me just say that and move on. Okay, finally, one of the best examples of godly fear, I really love this, is in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. This is, this is beautiful. 
It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, not a Jew. Okay, he, this, is, this is a Roman person. Okay, and it says a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. Did you notice that? Do you know when we hear that it's comforting? <laughs> Can I say why it's comforting? When we see somebody that is in authority, that fears God, that's a blessing to us because we know that this person is listening to God more than people. Are you all with me? Because we need people in authority that is doing that family. We need people that are looking to God more than, you know, what's popular necessarily. Amen. I, I, you know, we need to see this. And so, I, I, you know, that's why it just blesses me when I read things like this. When he says again, and so this was verse 2. A devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. And watch the result of this. He says, who gave alms generously to, to the people and prayed to God always. Wow. Notice where, what his fear prompted him to do, inspired him to do, motivated him to do, was to give and to pray. These are two good things, <laughs> okay, as far as I'm concerned. That's great. That's wonderful. And I, I, you know, I really wish more people were like this, that they say, God, out of respect for you, I'm going to make sure that I do the right thing. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's the kind of fear that's good. Now let's go on and talk about the kind of fear that the Apostle John is talking about in two ways. Number one, we're going to look at how it uh, specifically applies to these verses. And then we're going to look at it from a more general point. But not today because I didn't get there in the morning. <laughs> okay, so I know all we're going to do is look at, it, look at it from the point of view of what was actually being said here. So let's deal with that because the rest, the other is going to really bless you as well. When we look at the general application of it, it is incredible. All right? So let's, let's, let me read 1 John 4.18 once again. So I'm reading 1 John 4.18 where it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So we know that he isn't talking about all the things we talked about before. This is a tormenting kind of thing. This is something that he says is not good. Those things were good. This isn't. Now... <clears throat> I've said here, and I really like to, to make mention of this, I've said this is one of the most powerful statements in this epistle. I said one of the most because there's so many in there, okay? <laughs> and the reason why we're doing this. And even though it was written primarily to give us confidence in the final day of judgment so that we wouldn't fear it any, in any way, it nevertheless has many applications. And I said that to you before, we're going to look at those later. Firstly, in relation to its primary purpose, Simon J. Kistemacher explains, every human being, will have to appear before the judgment throne of Christ. Feelings of guilt and remorse will fill the hearts of all those who have refused to obey God's command, not you. Amen? Somebody say amen to that. And I got one from there. Amen, okay. <laughs> all right. He goes on to say, <clears throat> uh, who have refused to obey God's command, to believe his word and to accept Christ as Savior. Their hearts will be filled with fear. For they realize that the judge will sentence them because of their sin. Now, with respect to everybody being judged, let me just quickly go through a few scriptures here. Because I think something in there will bless you. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes then, he, he says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. In other words, he's saying, listen, even if they're doing something wrong, they're going to stand before God's judgment seat. 
They're not going to get away with it. I don't know why we think that. Why do we always think that if somebody does something wrong, it is up to us to get in there and shove a sword in them and just let them have it? Because the world has convinced us there's nothing after this. So, you know, whatever revenge we want to take, we're going to take it now before we die because once we're dead, that's the end of it all. The apostles never thought that way, okay? They always looked toward what their actions were going to mean when they're standing before Christ. Do you all know that? They lived their whole life that way. I think that is extraordinary. They were always looking to see, God, how can I do what pleases you the most in the most efficient way? So we want to be efficient as well, doing the will of God. Amen. One thing that we need to understand is that this isn't the end. In fact, you know, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. Okay, he says, I will repay, which means that you go on with your life. If somebody does you wrong, just move on. Amen. Now, be led by the Spirit. If God tells you to take certain steps, take those steps. Like I said, some people, you need to love from a distance. Have you all heard that? Okay, <laughs> because they will damage you while you're next to them. Amen. And so you just, but like I said, even if you're separate from them, you can't hate them, okay? You got to love them, but love them from a distance. Forgive them and then stay away from them because they want to push your face in every time they see you and you want to do the same to them. And then you both have to repent and that's not good. So hallelujah, okay? <laughs> so that's why I always say, why is a serpent harmless as doves? Get it? Okay, so. Back to this. So he says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Added to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. So this is 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I read this out before, and I thought I need to give a little bit more context to this. Uh, so I want to, which is the reason why it took a little bit longer getting out here. So I want to give you some context here, okay? You all know that 2 Corinthians was written after 1 Corinthians? Thank you. Okay, just, just, just checking that you know that. All right. Some people don't know that. Right? <laughs> I know, right? You know, it, it is amazing how people get so religious that they can't see straight. Amen. So if you know something was written after something else, then you need to go back and see what was written before so that you can understand what was written after. Because it was obviously making reference, reference, reference to what was written before. What was written before? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now while we're looking, uh, looking at that, uh, or we'll get to that, notice he says we must, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him, for the things done while in the body. So notice, there is no question about this. We are all going to stand before his judgment seat. So that's the reason why the Apostle Paul is saying that if you are perfected in love, you will have no fear on that day. Why will you have no fear in that day? Well, let me read you something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, I'm going to begin in verse 11 and conclude in verse 15. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people believe that the foundation that they lay doing good works is going to get them into heaven. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, no, no. Your foundation, it begins with Christ. 
If you don't have Christ, forget it. You don't have any foundation. You don't, can I put it a different way? You don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> okay, there's no foundation there. All right, so the first thing you need to do is receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, let's move on. And so he says, verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation, okay, so once you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and you start doing good things, it will be translated into six different categories. Okay, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay. One version says stubble, the other one says straw. I don't know what one that is. Okay, so whatever it is. So there are six different things. Do you all notice something about three of them? Three of them, when you put it through the fire, what happens? It's, it's gone. Okay, three of them become refined. You know they put gold through the fire to refine it so that what you get is pure gold. You all know that? Let's not get into chemistry today. All right, so just take my word for it, okay? All right, I I'm not lying to you, okay? <laughs> I'm a religious, no, <laughs> okay. All right, <laughs> we'll stop there, shall we? Verse 12, <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, he says, verse 13, each one's work will become clear. I want you to notice the word work there, please, okay? He says, each one's work will become clear for the day. Notice the day is capital D. Is it there, capital D as well? Okay. The day is talking about the day of judgment. That's why it's a capital D, all right? It says, for the day will declare it. He says, because it will be revealed by fire. And he says, for the fire will test each one. No. Everybody reads that, but it doesn't say that. What does it say? The fire will test each one's work. See, you're not going to be tested by fire, but your works will. Somebody say amen to that. This is good news, by the way. Okay, it is good news. Okay, be happy. All right? It <laughs> so where was I? All right, so he says again that the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Do you see that? Okay, if it endures, you're going to get a reward. But let's go on to the last one. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss. Watch. But he himself will be saved. See, a lot of people think if you all got wood hair and stubble or straw, if that's all you have, then you're going to go to hell. Man, you're going to burn and you're going to burn in hell. No, please notice. He says, you will be saved. And he says, he goes on to say, yet as though, uh, as so as through fire or escaping through the flames. In other words, he's saying, you're going to escape the flames. Your works won't. Amen. So you will be rewarded for all the gold, silver, and precious stones. That Those are the things. Uh, by the way, let me just clarify what that is. Those are all the things you did with the right motive, with the right heart. Amen. That you didn't have any alter ulterior motives for doing them. It was like, oh, I'll do this so that they see me. Notice Men pleasers, you know, okay, eye service, okay, not any other, those are all wood hands uh, and stubble and straw, by the way, okay, but the things that you did with the right heart, and you didn't, it didn't matter to you if they saw you or not, you did the right thing because you were working as unto the Lord, that becomes gold, silver, and precious stones, isn't that wonderful, that becomes something that when, when it's tested by fire, it will, it will bring reward to you, okay, because remember he said you'll be rewarded for those things, amen, but everything else, and I love this as well. Anything that you do with the wrong motives will get burnt up and nobody will know. Okay? There, will, there won't be this pile of wood hair and stubble or straw that you'll be carting around in heaven and going, oh, look, 
for all of eternity. Oh, look, you know, we know what kind of work you did. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, it gets burned up. Nobody will know. Now, you might have a tiny bit of gold at the end, and they'll look at it and go, okay, that's what you got rewarded for. So you, all you get uh, known for is the good things you've done. Praise the Lord. Amen? So I just want to share that with you to let you know that, there, that you should not be afraid. That's the kind of fear that he's letting us know we don't have to have. Okay, because we are not going to be ashamed up there. Remember, we are God's kids. Remember 1 John chapter 3 and uh, yeah, verse 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And then he says, verse 2, Now we are the children of God. And so we need to understand that we, we stand in a very privileged place. And as children of God, Listen, one of the perks is if you do all the wrong things, they'll get burned up. Nobody will know about it. <laughs> okay? I mean, there will be a fire for a minute, but that's it. Okay? After that, you get rewarded for what all the good you've done. But sinners won't have that. What, what's going to happen with them is all of their works are going to condemn them because everything that they try to do in place of Christ will stand there in place of Christ. And it will, be, it will be judged according to Christ's perfection. And none of the things that they do will stand up to that. Are you all with me? And so God will, instead of it being uh, something to be rewarded for, God will say, did you really think that you could do so well that you wouldn't need this thing over here? You would need the sacrifice. You would need the death on the cross. You would need what everything had, he did to save you. You thought you could save yourself. That is a horrendous thing. And it's going to be held against them. And the more good they do, the worse it's going to be for them. Isn't that sad? The more good you do, the better the reward and the greater the reward is because your foundation is Christ. Did you get all that? Okay. So, let me just read some of my notes. In other words, the good is the gold, silver, and precious stones that will be refined in the fire, and the bad is the wood, hair, and straw that will not survive the flames. As for those who refuse to accept Christ as Savior, they will have to face him as judge. That's brought out in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, which says, And the kings of the earth, the great men and women, the rich men and women, this is Revelation 6, 15, the commanders, the mighty men and women, every slave, every free man and woman, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, verse 16, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Let me stop there for a minute. Did you notice something there? Look at who they're hiding from. Not the wrath of God, but the wrath of the Lamb. Do you understand that they're talking about Jesus Christ? Do you understand that they're suddenly going to realize that it was He that was the one that was going to judge everyone? And I've got some great news in just a minute, okay? So I just want to point that out. Before I get to it. Verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In other words, nobody is going to be able to stand. You know how people have sort of said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say to God. How many people have heard that? You know, they're going to defend themselves. How, why did I have to? Blah, blah, blah. Watch now. What's <laughs> this is the reality. When all of this begins, they're going to suddenly realize they're the ant. God's the boot. Okay, and to meet boot, you know what I'm trying to say. And suddenly, the boot doesn't listen to reason. When it comes down, you're gone. That's why they said they're actually asking the rocks to fall on them. You know, they're asking themselves to be killed, literally, rather than face that judgment. 
You're all with me. That's how terrible it's going to be for them. For us, John chapter uh, 5 and verse 24. I said this is what we will, we as believers will avoid, according to the Apostle John. And includes both the fear and the judgment that follows. Especially since Jesus himself said in John 5.24. Most assuredly, I say to you, listen what he's going to say. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Wait, stop. Don't read anymore. Put your hand up. Are you one of those people? Amen. Okay, I, I see that hand. Sister, I, I, okay. <laughs> it's like them old days, you know. I see that hand. I see that hand. Oh, that wasn't the hand? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, this, is, this is us now, okay? Watch, watch what he says. And shall not come into judgment. And shall. Who is saying this? Can I say it a different way? The lamb is saying this. The judge is saying this. You know when the judge tells you, you're not going to come, <coughs> you're not going to come under judgment, take his word for it. He's, he'll, he'll look at it and go, he won't, he's not one of these absent-minded judges that you come up before me and go, who are you? Because, man, you told me I wouldn't have to go through this. I used to have a teacher like that. <laughs> They would forget what they said wouldn't be a problem until later on it would be a problem. And I'd say, are you sure you shouldn't you know, write a receipt or write a note or something? Oh, no, I'll remember. And they wouldn't. And later on I found out that people would say, you know, would say to me, make sure they write it down because they forget that this is not God. <laughs> okay? If God doesn't forget. All right? All right. So when he says, if Jesus said this, if Jesus knows you and he has said this to you, that's it. It's finished. Because he will look at you and go, oh, Andrew. Verity, I know you. Go on through. Next. Roche. Hmm. It's the, bring the book. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. All right. No, no. Dear God, I hope that's not the case. All right. But anyway, okay. But notice he says, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Amen. Now, I don't have time to preach on all of this, but there is a death that awaits people that do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord. All right, it's, 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 it's not a good place. Again, we, we won't spend time on that. But what I want you to see is that you have passed from judgment. Do you notice again? He says, shall not come into judgment. So the Lamb who is going to judge all of the nations, we are all going to be standing before Him. Are you all with me? This is the reason why the Apostle John says, I know we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but you do not need to be afraid. Amen? Because it's going to be an incredible event. I mean, this is all of humanity. He says we are all going to be standing before the judgment seat. All of us. Without exception. Amen? And he said for you, it's not an issue. Jesus has said there won't be a judgment for you. In fact, the only judgment that you're going to receive is the reward that you're going to receive from God for all the good you did. That survived the fire. <laughs> okay? All right. Amen. All right. In his commentary, let's move on because uh, I need to finish this. Colin G. Cruz explains it so well when he says, The type of fear meant here in 1 John 4 uh, 18 is fear of punishment. The word translated punishment is found in only one other place in the New Testament. That's in Matthew 25 46, where it says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hallelujah. The words with which Jesus concludes the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
punishment there is what God meets out to the unrighteous on the day of judgment. It is no different to the punishment here in 1 John 4.18, which is also the punishment to be meted out to the unrighteous. And it is fear of this punishment. It is fear of this punishment that is driven out by love. Did you get that? Amen? I'm not reading that again. <laughs> okay. That's what the Apostle John means once again. And we'll have to conclude here when he says there is no fear in love. Are you getting this now? Okay, he says, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. In other words, you don't realize that you're not going to come into the judgment and you haven't perfected that love in your heart. And that is what we do by spending time with God. Amen? Amen. Okay, when we come back, we're going to look at this statement in a more general sense. We're going to talk about, uh, for example, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, which means that you can't have power if you're in fear, let alone love, let alone a sound mind. Interesting, isn't it? We'll look at all those things, and uh, uh, that's for next week. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed, so I don't start preaching on that. Thank you, Lord, Lord Father, we just thank you. 